Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. This is OSR October. It's actually the night of the 5th, but this is going to come on on the 6th, so this is day 6. This is going to be a short one, I think. I was just watching a video about... Uh, somebody was explaining the OSR. They were talking about why they moved from 5e or how to get people from 5e to play OSR, you know, kind of typical stuff that we do around here in the OSR sphere, kind of guiding the new old people or the old new people back in. But um, he was kind of talking about retro clones, and he, and he mentioned you know, that that the fantasy medieval adventure game, white box fantasy medieval adventure game was a retro clone of swords and wizardry. And while that's not how I would phrase things, what it did make me think of is what is a retro clone and why do the retro clones exist and why do they continue to be made? So I'm going to talk a little bit about that and my thoughts on that, why you might want to make your own retro clone, why people still make them, and what it is that makes us want to do it, aside from house rules and stuff, which maybe is a different podcast. I'm going to talk just more generally here. I would love to hear from you, though. Go ahead and follow the link in the show notes. You can send me a message using the Anchor app. Well, I guess the Anchor website at this point. You could also join my Discord and send me a message over there. Anyways, in my opinion, in my experience, in my very limited knowledge of the history of, of retro clones and D&D, I'm going to put a little timeline forward and suggest a reason why things existed the way they did. And then I want to talk about how we are today and what's different. So, Dateline 2005 or whatever they came up with it, Osric. Let's talk about Osric. Osric is, to my knowledge, the first official retro clone. I'm sure that people were making heartbreakers and things like that before then, but that was the one that was meant to test the waters, right? To see if like, you could actually put out a full-on rule set using the OGL and not get spanked by Wizards of the Coast. And guess what? They did it, right? Osric was a reorganization of the rules of advanced Dungeons & Dragons. First edition, as people would call it. The reason why I think they made Osric or that Osric was successful or that Osric was a good thing to make was because, to my knowledge, you could not purchase legally PDFs or printed material of the rules for first edition Dungeons and Dragons at the time that Osric was created. Labyrinth Lord. Now, I don't know if Labyrinth Lord was in effect the second retro clone, but I'm kind of going in a certain order here. Labyrinth Lord is a retro clone of the basic expert set, often called BX or Moldvay Basic or with Cook and Marsh Expert. At the time that Labyrinth Lord was first released, you could not buy, I'm pretty sure, to my knowledge, <laughs> legally, PDFs or printed versions new of, you know, they weren't being produced, I should say. I suppose if somebody had a new version somewhere, that's a whole other thing, right? Uh, of the the basic sets, basic expert set, the BX set. Now, I think maybe you could have got your hand on like Rule Cyclopedia or something like that, but not this set. The third example I will give is Swords and Wizardry White Box. Swords and Wizardry White Box is a retro clone of just the three little brown books of original Dungeons and Dragons, which to my knowledge was not available for sale this one is a little bit more hazy because I know that Wizards did do like an anniversary set, but generally speaking, it was not made for general sale, the PDFs nor the physical prints. They weren't available. You couldn't just go out and buy OD&D at your hobby shop. The purpose of the retro clone 
was to take an old set of rules that people still liked, but there was no support for, meaning no support, as in you couldn't buy new products for it, and to bring it out to the public. So those people that used to play or that still play and their traditions are getting beat up or they bring friends in and they don't have copies, they could get copies of what is effectively a clone of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons First Edition, Basic Expert, or Original Dungeons and Dragons. Then eventually this full-on Swords and Wizardry, which they add the, the supplements mostly from ODND, etc., etc. Now we jump forward, right? So I guess my point here is that these original clones were made so that you could have access to these games. They didn't exist anymore. Now let's look at some of the games that are being put out now or that I can think of that, that kind of came out when I was playing or seemed to come out then anyways. You've got White Box Fantastic Medieval Adventure Game, which is awesome. I love that game. My friend Tony runs it all the time. It's his favorite system. It is basically a white box, a Swords and Wizardry white box, but with the Thief class added, right, as an option. So it's kind of like adding Greyhawk. <laughs> Although I don't think they had Paladins or anything, so it's not 100% Greyhawk. It's like that plus Thief. Did they need to make a game to just add the Thief? would be a question, right? Then let's look at something else, the, the 500-pound gorilla in the room. OSE. OSE is a beautifully put-together reorganization of the basic expert system put together in a time when basic and expert are both available as PDFs and possibly print on demand, I believe, from Wizards of the Coast. So they're available. When we think about this like next segment of retro clones, and I think I've talked a little bit about this before, but I'm just going to rehash it again. I wonder what the reasons to have them are. Why do we need OSE when we have Basic Expert? I mean, why do we need Labyrinth Lord anymore when we have the original Basic Expert? Why do we need Osric if you can just buy AD&D still? And this is not to say you shouldn't buy them. In fact, I think supporting the individual creators who use the OGL is probably, in my mind, a better thing to do than to buy the PDF from Wizards of the Coast who are just, you know, collecting the money from it and they're not really supporting it. But that's an entirely different podcast, right? The OSR wouldn't be if it wasn't for creators, for DIY creators, for people creating systems. But what this does mean is that for the most part, anyways, we've got to be really innovative with the things we create in the OSR to make them stand out. If I just take the BX rules and I just print them up again, kind of neatened up or whatever with my own art, I'm not going to be able to compete against OSE. I'm not going to be able to compete against these kind of things that are have high production value and a lot of love was put into really reorganizing and researching. The next level of OSR makes it even more likely you're going to have a heartbreaker and less likely that you're going to create something unique if you just take the rules and rehash them, if you clone them. But... If we take the rules as originally written, depending on which of the rules you like, and you dig into them and you say, what is it that I really like? What do I like about original Dungeons and Dragons? Asks Daniel. What is it that I really love about BX? What do I really love about AD&D? It's got to be the unarmed combat, right? 100% the unarmed combat. Well, maybe psionics. Could be psionics as well. But anyways, let's just say that you love that stuff. What is it about it that you love that you can make your system, your OSR system that you're going to create 
into something that people that will want to play it because they'll want to see that or have that experience. I play AD&D in this way and I think it's super fun and you might enjoy it as well. And when it comes down to it, I think that really is the heart of the OSR and it kind of always was, right? I play the original rules because I think they're great. I'm going to make them available to you. I play the original rules with this added on and that added on. I'm going to make them available to you. I just think that now as we're creating stuff, I'm talking to myself just as much as anybody else, we've got to really be aware that the public is looking for something different. They're not just looking for very, very basic, simple rules. If you actually want to make this thing a commercial product, we'll call it. They're going to want something that's got something extra. And that something extra is a flavor that you add as a creator, your heart and soul, your imagination, or it's got to be some really cool, funky design because people love cool, funky designs. So yeah, I mean, you look at some of these things that come out now and it's just like, wow, this is really, really cool looking. I got to buy it, <laughs> even though it's the same rules that everything else has. So I'm really excited about where the OSR is, where the OSR has been and where it's going. I think that a lot of great people are creating a lot of great content and they're sharing it in whatever means they can, from simple blog posts to one-page dungeons to free PDFs to elaborately put together systems that, you know, sell and have million-dollar Kickstarters. And that is amazing. I don't know that they would have imagined when they came out with Osric or some of these original games that there would have been people creating some of the stuff they are now. And if they did see that, well, they could see a lot further than me. <laughs> In any case, I would love to know like what I said wrong here, what I what's what's not correct as far as the order, and, or do I make sense? Was the origin was the origin of the OSR really just getting the rules in front of people and now it's something a little different? Let me know what you think and I will talk to you soon.